John chapter 5, John 5 and 2 Timothy 3. John 5 and 2 Timothy 3. We are continuing our study on how to study the Bible. How to study the Bible. One comment I want to make before we dive into our lesson today and our message as you turn there to John 5, 2 Timothy 3. You know, knowing how to read and understand the Bible, how to study it for yourself, is really pointless if we don't live it. Amen? And so one of the challenges that I don't think I think the Lord put it on my heart yesterday, on my mind, was just to mention to all of us. So this is for me as well. Um, God wants us to be spiritual people. He wants us to walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And how many of you you'd testify to all of us that that's hard <laughs> walking in the Spirit? It's and, and, and I suppose it's not really that hard. It's hard to remember to do. Because if you're trying real hard to walk in the Spirit, maybe you're missing the point, right? That's that Steve Brown, that old Presbyterian preacher on the, the radio. He, uh, he, he called it the cult of trying harder. The cult of trying harder. And so what we really need to do is yield to the Spirit, not to the flesh. And so I just wanted to mention that just to all of us. Because, you know, this study, it's not real devotional. This study is more um, factual and doctrinal, which is good. I mean, that's what the church is supposed to do. And yet, I just felt like I wanted to remind us today to let's let's walk in the Spirit this week. You know, the world's not going to get any better. I don't see inflation turning around in the next week, right? It's, you know, your gas is still going to be 40% higher than it was last year and all these other things that we're dealing with. And so if we don't walk in the Spirit, then we can become kind of bitter and angry people. And, and the Bible says, keep not company with an angry man. That's, that's, it's wise not to keep company with an angry man. Well, then how can we be winsome people, drawing people to the Lord when we're the kind of people that God tells us to stay away from? And so let's, let's just be godly. Let's let's walk in the Spirit. So some of the things we're going to learn today, let's make sure that we're taking in the information and the facts, and yet when we leave here that we go out and we live for the Lord. It's so important. So let's look at this. Let's, let's pray first. Lord, we love you. Lord, help us to be spiritual people. Lord, help us to be people that recognize that this world's not our home, that we're just passing through. Father, help us not to be so attached to here. And that can only be done in the Spirit. And so, Father, help us to yield to your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are looking at this full mention principle. I do want to say this. You can't walk in the Spirit unless you're born again. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, then you can't walk in the Spirit because you're not even spiritually alive. How do you get spiritually alive? By asking the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. It's so vital. that That's, that's the foundation. That's where it starts. But let's look at this, this full mention principle, and I want to show you some distinctions. We've looked at the, the principle of first mention, so that is that the first time God mentions a word or a topic in the Bible, he gives us information about that that will continue through the rest of the Bible. And we have a lesson on that online, you can look at that. There's another that we haven't studied, and I don't, I don't think that we're going to take the time to, but I want to mention it to you. 
This is the progressive mention principle. And no, we are not progressives here. Amen? We're not progressives. But the progressive mention, that principle by which God makes the revelation of any given truth increasingly clear as the word proceeds to its consummation. As you study, it will bring added details to truth that God has revealed in the beginning. That's from Edwin Hartle, and I forgot to mention that last week. A lot of those notes from last week were from Edwin Hartle's book, and I try not to plagiarize too much, but uh, I wanted to mention that to you. So let me talk about this one just for a second. Progressive revelation. So the first two words of your Bible are, in the beginning, God. And the last words are, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So there's a progression that God reveals himself, but ultimately God reveals himself through Christ. And the consummation of that revelation is when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. All right, so that's progressive revelation of the truth. There's a progressive revelation of the church. Sometimes people will say, did the church begin with Christ or did the church begin at Pentecost? The answer is yes. All right? And the reason that people get hung up on these things, there's that logical fallacy of bifurcation. You take a complicated subject and you try and boil it down to just two choices. Are you Republican or Democrat? Well, pox on all their houses. Right? So the, 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 this whole idea of progressive revelation is really important. The church began with Christ. Remember Jesus said, I, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the, the, the church began with Christ, but it was empowered at Pentecost. We've looked at that passage in 1 Peter where it says that the, 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 uh, that the prophets inquired as to what they were writing about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. And it was revealed to them that not unto them, but unto us they'd administer those things, which have now have the gospel preached with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. So when the, when the apostle Peter, God sent the apostle Peter to minister to Cornelius and the Italian band, when he was defending that action to the other apostles, he said the Holy Ghost fell on them as he did on us at the beginning. At the beginning of what? At the beginning of the church being empowered with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so it began with Christ, but the, the, the Holy Spirit wasn't sent until Christ left. He said, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come unto you. But if I go away, he will come unto you. So the, this is the progressive revelation. Began with Christ, empowered at Pentecost. But God wasn't done giving information about the church. He then sent the Apostle Paul, and to the Apostle Paul, according to the first three chapters of Ephesians, were revealed the mysteries of the church. Remember what a mystery is. A mystery is something that could not be known unless God revealed it to us. So the church began with Christ, it was empowered at Pentecost, and it was ordered, structure, structured, and propagated under the Apostle Paul. That's a progressive revelation of the church. So this is progressive mention. You find that all through the Bible, all right? So there's a distinction between first mention, progressive mention, and then full mention. Here's the definition of full mention that Hartle gives. That principle by which God declares his full mind upon any subject vital to our spiritual life. That principle by which God declares his full mind upon any subject vital to our spiritual life. So what, let's just break that down. If something is important to God, he'll give us a clear statement on that in the Bible. That's what this is. So when I was young, 
Um, we, the Christian school that I went to was kind of connected with Bob Jones University. How many of you have heard of Bob Jones University? Have you heard of that? Okay, so my mom and dad met in school there, and that's when they got married. And So this Christian school that I went to was connected with them, and there was a guy from there, his name was Frank Garlock, who taught a lot on music, and um, I think he was a good brother. He just made a bunch of stuff up that wasn't in the Bible. And so, you know, he taught that if music is syncopated, and I don't even understand these definitions, I'm not a musician, but it's something like if you put on a 4-4 time, if you put the emphasis on the second and fourth beat, it's supposed to be on the first and second beat. And so if you, I'm sorry, the first and third beat. So if you put it on the second and fourth beat, then that goes against the beating of your heart. And so then Satan comes and dwells in your body and you speak in, you know, satanic. And I'm, I'm exaggerating. But th- that was kind of the thing. And so there's this whole thing that if music was syncopated, then it was satanic. How many of you have ever heard something like that? Have you heard something like that? How many of you, honestly, you've never heard anything like that? This is the first time you've heard it. I'm so glad you've not heard it because it's the weirdest thing in the world. And so there were a lot of young people that were really honestly driven away from biblical Christianity because of weird teaching on music. Just weird teaching. How many remember the backmasking stuff? Remember that? You play a song backwards and you can hear Satan, right? You play a country song backwards and he gets his dog back, gets his truck back, his wife comes home. But this 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 backmasking stuff that was happening. Um, here's the problem. So all that stuff, all that cultural stuff, if it's not in the Bible... If it's not in the Bible, it's not biblical doctrine. And so we would ask this question. As a young man, I would ask this question, where does it say that in the Bible? Where does it say that in the Bible? And when you have to, uh, when you have to shut a young man down, well, you, you, stop, you need to stop asking that. Well, then you need to stop teaching that. Okay? Now, young people, sometimes your parents will give you rules that are not in the Bible. They can do that because they're your parents. Right? Institutions will have rules. So we, I asked the guys to wear ties on the, on the platform. Are ties in the Bible, are ties spiritual? No. Here's the, the only reason I have them wear ties, because Matt Holesclaw hates it. That's the only, <laughs> blame Matt, it's all on Matt. That's the only reason. No, just want to have a certain kind of decorum or whatever. Honestly, it's just not a big deal. So, because they're not in the Bible. I like, a, a, one guy said that wearing a tie is like being strangled by a weak man slowly. I, I think that's a pretty good statement. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It's not in the Bible. It does not matter. As far as clothing goes, modesty is in the Bible. Don't try to draw a bunch of attention to yourself. That's in the Bible. Amen? Those things, that I can give you a full, a full mention, a statement from the Bible. Now, there are other doctrines that we get by taking a little here, a little there, and understanding God's mind on it. But the big items, there is a clear statement about that. And I'm going to give you some teaching on that today, give you some examples of it. So let's read through this principle again. That principle by which God declares his full mind upon any subject vital to our spiritual life. So if it's not in the Bible, listen, then it's not important to God. People get really freaked out about that. You mean the United States isn't important to God? Exactly. Okay. 
Somewhere in Scripture, God gathers together the scattered fragments that have to do with a particular truth and puts them into one exhaustive statement. So there will be a verse in the Bible that will give you some truth. There will be a combination of verses, So, like on Calvinism. So Calvinism is that teaching where God predestinated some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. Before the foundation of the earth, God determined that uh, Anderson would go to heaven and Dylan, sorry, dude, you lose. Now, Dylan, aren't you glad that's not the way it works? Yeah, God wants all of us to be saved. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's a clear statement. So if you have a doctrine that violates a clear statement of Scripture, then it's wrong. Okay? And so I was having a debate with a guy on Calvinism, really a really good brother, and seriously. And, and I just asked him, I said, uh, where is the full mention of this all-encompassing decree whereby God ordained everything that would ever happen? Okay, so the Calvinist says that before the foundation of the world, God decreed everything. So you heard about the Calvinist that fell down the stairs and said, thank God that's over with. Because God, before the foundation of the world, had decreed that he fall down the stairs. So what I like to ask people is, and I ask this young man, show me that in the Bible. Show me a passage or a combination of passages whereby God ordained everything that would ever happen. It's not in the Bible. This is where this principle of full mention, it helps us to put the exclamation points where God does. It helps us to put the emphasis on the right syllable. It's really important. The Bible helps. When when we understand this full mention principle, it really helps us to understand the things that are important to God. Because if it's important to God, there will be a clear statement on it in the scriptures. Okay? All right. So let's keep going. That is his full mind concerning that truth. He'll give us a clear statement about it. So here's some good examples. All right, so you have your Bible at uh, John 5.39. Purpose of the Scriptures, John 5.39. Search the Scriptures. This is Jesus speaking. Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So what's the purpose of Scriptures? To testify of Jesus. So when you're reading the Bible, look for Jesus. A good principle to understand why God gave you the Bible, it's God's revelation of himself. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And, what's the rest of the verse? And they are they which testify of me. I always say these are they. I mess it up. They are they which testify of me. All right, here's another one, a purpose for the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16. And I know you know this verse. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So what's the purpose of Scripture? Well, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. What is doctrine? Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. God's truth in God's words. If you have a doctrine that's not found in the Bible, then it's not a Bible doctrine. That's profound, isn't it? If you have a doctrine that's not found in the Bible, it's not a Bible doctrine. And this is why this principle of full mention, it helps us to understand what's important to God, what he wants us to know. So how many of you think God wants us to understand the gospel? Right? So what is, what is the full mention of the gospel? So this is fun. 
All right. I love this right here because I kind of made it up today or yesterday. This is, this is really cool. So on this full mention, one of my problems with the principle of full mention in teaching it and understanding it is sometimes there's more than one place in the Bible that talks about it. Well, that repetition is God's volume control. If there's more than one place, then it's really important to God. And so I'm going to show you some of them that I believe are the full mention, but you might find another one. That means that these are important to God. But what's fun is there are three different ways that God gives us the full mention of a truth. Sometimes it's in a single verse. So the single verse that gives us the gospel, no, it's not John 3.16. For God so loved the world, let's everybody say it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's not the gospel. That's a wonderful verse. Somebody's going to go home. Pastor Alter doesn't like John 3.16. I can't go to church there anymore. No. So turn this passage with me. Go to 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18. Hey, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one under the chair in front of you. Laura, where are you? Where's Laura? Oh, she's down in the nursery. Okay. All right. Somebody remind me to order pew Bibles, chair Bibles. Ty, you got that for me? Okay. First Peter 3.18. Okay. This is the best verse. This is the full mention of the gospel in one verse in the Bible. All right. First Peter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered... For sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's the single verse that gives us the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? So that's the full mention of the gospel in one verse. But what about in a, a passage? What about the full mention and maybe where God gives us a little bit more information in a broader passage? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. So he's going to explain what the gospel is. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So the gospel is not just saying some a magic potion formula you know, abracadabra and the door opens, you have to believe what you're saying, right? You believe in vain, that's believing in nothing. All right, verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. There's no salvation without the Bible. There is no, let me say it again, there is no salvation without the Bible. The way that we know the truth of salvation is the Word of God. You have to have two things. You have to have the Word of God and you have to have the blood of Jesus Christ to know what the gospel is. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the passage, or according to the scriptures. So you have the full mention in a verse, 1 Peter 3.18, the full mention in a passage, and then this is really fun. The full mention in the book of the Bible. If you want to understand what salvation is, read the book of Romans. 
He, he gives you so many different aspects of, of the gospel and what it really means. And so if you're on an elevator and you need to give somebody the gospel real quick, 1 Peter 3.18. If you're going to have a conversation, someone says, well, what, what does this word gospel mean? Well, it means good news. Well, the good news about what? That Jesus Christ died. Why did he die? Not for his sin, but for my sin. He died for our sins. How do I know? Because the Bible tells us according to the scriptures. You see? So you get a little bit more information, and then you get to somebody that says, well, don't you have to be baptized also? Don't you need to do this as well? Don't you need to do this as well? Well, let's look at the book of Romans and see what the Bible says about that. So now we have the full mention of that doctrine. And, of course, the book of Romans is the doctrinal treatise for, for the church. I mean, the, the book, if you want to understand Bible doctrine, start with the book of Romans. That's where you're going to get it, and we'll see that throughout this message. So, full mention of the gospel in a verse, 1 Peter 3.18, in a passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, through 4, and in a book of the Bible, it's the book of Romans. All right, important. Okay, do you see that, all capital letters and... Exclamation points. I found out that when you do that in a text, you're yelling at somebody. All right? I'm getting cool. I'm catching up with this stuff. Let me teach you guys something. If you have to tell people you're cool, you're not. Okay? The story of my life. All right, so here we go. So we're talking about the gospel. Notice none of these passages are in the gospels. How about that? Isn't that interesting? Why? Why? Because the Gospels are primarily in the Old Testament. <laughs> the, the, the New Testament began with the death of Christ. Death of Christ is at the end of the Gospels. Our understanding of what the Gospel is, you can get it in Luke chapter 24. Let's look at it, Luke 24. We looked at this last week, I believe. Maybe not. One of my other lessons, I think. Verse 44, Luke 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Well, that's a great statement. But this is a better statement of the Great Commission than a statement of the gospel. This is telling us what to preach. You see? But this is the first time he's told them this. Luke 24 is the first time he's given this message in the Bible. Right? So we get a better understanding of how to do that by the writings to the churches and the way that the churches were to function. So this is our right division, understanding how to understand the Bible. Okay? So these verses are not in the gospels primarily. All right, full mention. What's the purpose of the law? And this is vital because we still have religious organizations, we still have churches that have priests. And these priests, they wear robes. They are trying to continue that, that Aaronic Levitical priesthood into the New Testament. And that is a, that's a remnant of the law. So what does the Bible tell us about the law? Is there a declarative statement about the law that gives us its purpose? What is the purpose of the law? What about a single verse? Okay, go to Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. It's funny how many of these are in Romans. 
What's the purpose of the law? In a single verse, Romans 3.19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Wow. What's the purpose of the law? So the whole world can become guilty. That's a bummer. How many of you are glad Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law? Because what the law does, it shows us the whole world is guilty. No one can keep it. No one can keep it. That's the single verse, full mention of the purpose of the law. Now, I'm sure many of you Bible students, there, there's another verse. You could pick out another verse that talks about the law because this is a clear teaching in the New Testament, right? But this is one that's very clear that the whole world can become guilty. It's easy to understand. All right, what about a passage? Look at Galatians chapter 3. Isn't Galatians a good book to go to if you're going to study about the law? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. Galatians 3 and verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So that's Jesus. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of God. I'm sorry, it's not a mediator of one, but but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So what was the purpose of the law? To be a schoolmaster to teach us that we needed salvation by faith. That, that's the purpose of the law. So this passage gives us that. So if you go to a church and that church says that Matt Holesclaw has to wear a tie in order to be right with God and he cannot worship God properly unless he's wearing a tie, that's adding law to grace. That's adding law to faith. If someone tells you that you have to be baptized in order to be able to go to heaven, that's adding law to faith. And that is completely unbiblical. What is your rule? What is the rule that you, you know, your favorite rule? Oh, guys, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Well, listen, is that a truth in the Bible? It's real quiet. Hey, guys, ask your wife if it's okay for you to say amen right there. Is that, is that a truth of the Bible? Does it have anything to do with whether or not you get to go to heaven? No, not at all. Just your home will be a lot happier until you get there, right? So if you add these things to the gospel, that's putting people under the law. You're heaping burdens on people's backs that God never intended for you to do. It doesn't matter how much money you, go to the, you give to the church. That doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you get to go to heaven. Amen? Keep going. So, single verse, Romans 3.19.
uh, passage, Galatians 3, 19 through 25. What about a book of the Bible? Well, how about the whole book of Galatians? What about the whole book of Romans? It's going to teach us the purpose of the law. And so isn't this interesting? Why is it then that there are so many religions or faiths that, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not really saved? Or if you don't do whatever, make confession or or keep the sacraments or name the religion, right? It could be Baptists that say if you listen to syncopated music, you can't be saved or whatever, okay? It, why do people add things? As a leader, let me tell you why. Because you people are very hard to control. And so if my goal is to control you, then I have to add some things to the Bible. If my goal is to teach you, then I'm free. I can tell you what the Bible says, and then if you don't do it, then you get the judgment of God on you. Yes. No, you don't get the judgment of God, but you might get the chastisement of God. My job is just to tell you the truth. It's your job to do it or not do it. And I've got no say over whether you do it or don't do it. I'm not your priest. I'm not in charge of you. I'm not in control of you. I'm your teacher. There's such a huge difference, and that's why the Bible tells us about the law. Why are all these other churches trying to control people? Because that's their goal. Their goal is control, and that's never the goal of the New Testament church. That's not what we are to do, okay? And so the reason that churches do these kinds of things is because they ignore the emphasis of the Scriptures. All right, let's keep going. So what about righteousness? All of these things that we we're just talking about. Is righteousness by faith or is righteousness by works? So this is applied in two different ways. In some religions, it's faith plus works, right? So it's not simply a works-based faith, but you have to believe and then you have to do. And they like to go to the book of James where he says, you show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by my works, right? And so people try to add works to faith, either for salvation or to demonstrate that you're right with God. Well, I don't get right with God by my works. Let's see if there's a full mention of that in the Bible. So the name of our church is Grace Baptist Church right? Grace Baptist Church. Grace is vital for us. Grace is a gift. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is when God gives us something that we simply don't deserve, and that's how we get righteousness. Let's see if the Bible says anything about that. So in a single verse, look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. It is really an interesting thing that all of us know people that believe that works are a part of salvation. We all know people that are like that. Let's see if we can take them to one verse in the Bible. Okay, Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So here's what this verse does. This verse clears up so many false doctrines. So I talked about the Calvinists. The Calvinist believes that God regenerates you and then you believe. 
that if, if your faith, if you get saved by believing, well, believing is an act of the will, so that's a work. And so they call us semi-Pelagians. Pelagius believed that salvation was by works. And so they, they don't say that we're completely Pelagian. They call us semi-Pelagian. Do you guys remember what, how you answer someone that calls you a semi-Pelagian? You know what the technical answer is? Do you remember? Your mom's a semi-Pelagian. That's the answer that you give. It, it, it's such a silly and a ridiculous accusation because the Bible says that, that I wish I had this memorized. Let me say it right. Verse 5. It says, uh, no, yeah, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth. That means that believing is not working. Are you with me? Right? So you see how this clears up that problem, that doctrinal error. But what about people who say that you have to have works in order to go to heaven? This clears that up. Just in a clear statement that you believe you don't work. Why? Because the Bible makes it very clear that if it's by works, then you have something to boast about. That God has to do it by debt. All right, so that's a single verse. What about a passage? Look at Romans 3.10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That's like an open grave. Their tongues, they have used, or with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. What an interesting passage. How many of you are feeling better about yourself already? You understand this is God describing you and me. This is who we are. How's our righteousness doing? Not good. Verse, verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, look at this, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that, what? For there's no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That's a satisfactory payment through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of them which believeth in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's the clear, full mention of salvation by grace, of being declared righteous, not by works, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why we believe what we believe. It's a clear statement in the Bible that doesn't need my help 
at all. I don't need to explain anything away. I don't need to add anything to it. We just need to understand what the text says. That's the full mention of righteousness by faith. So single verse, passage, book of the Bible. How about Ephesians? How about Romans? For by grace are you saved, by faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians, Romans, righteousness. How about accountability? How about accountability? The Bible says that we are accountable to something. What what are we accountable to? How does this work in the Bible? Single verse. Look at Romans chapter 1. Have you all noticed how much we're in Romans for full mention? You all need to really be familiar with the book of Romans. Verse 20. What about people who've never believed? Now, you understand. I'm going to sound mean right here. I just can't help it. You understand that, that for a lot of Christianity... And, and a lot of, of you know, the, the K-Love crowd, right? We understand, what about those who've never heard? What? It, there, there's a couple of problems with that. So, so important. And you, you might be thinking it. I've, I've, you know, I've been around this my entire life. So it's hard for me to relate to, to some of those questions. And if it's a baby Christian that's asking that question, then we want to gently give them the answer. Amen? But if you're a Christian leader and you're asking that question, shame on you. How about you try read, how about you just try to read your Bible? That, that would be really good. Because that question from someone who claims to be a mature believer, what about those who's never heard, who have never heard? It, it, there are some assumptions behind that question. Remember, what the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. Right? Os Guinness said that. What the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. So when you say, what about, what about those who've never heard? Number one, you believe that people deserve to hear. Number two, you believe you're more compassionate than God. As if God is obligated to give us the gospel. As if God was obligated to come and die on the cross for us. As if God was obligated to offer me salvation. Do you understand what's behind some of those questions? It's very, very difficult for a, for a baby Christian or a lost person to ask that question. We need to be, to, to be able to humbly and gently answer those questions. But when you have religious leaders or you have uh, uh, influencers through music or YouTube or podcasts or, or uh, uh, Instagram, InstaTwit, whatever it is, when you have influencers through all of these different kinds of things, man, you got to understand if somebody is coming across that way, they do not know what God has said because there are clear statements in the Bible about this. Amen? So number one, Number one, you don't deserve to hear. Neither do I. Number two, God's not obligated to do anything for us. He owes us nothing. Number three, we don't deserve anything but hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we have earned. The wages of sin is death. And that's what, that's what I deserve. Hallelujah, I'm not going to get that because Jesus Christ loved me. And he gave me that free gift of eternal life. And my job was simply to believe it and receive it. Right? So let's look at the full mention of this. Verse 20, Romans 1 and verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
That's the whole world before God. See, we use the wrong terminology sometimes. Boy, if you die and you haven't believed, you're going to be condemned. No, he that believeth not is condemned already, the Bible says. This world is under the just condemnation of God. That's why we need to express the amazing love and grace that God has given us, where he's offering us a way out. Not only does he offer it, he provided it. He gave it at great cost to himself. And he didn't have to do it. Full mention, accountability. What a book. What a book and what a privilege it is to study it. And so it's our job to search the scriptures for these full mention, these declarative statements of God, the things that he cares about. And so I would challenge you in your Bible study this year, as you're reading through the Bible, look at these full mentions. Start making a note. Start making your own doctrinal notebook of truth that's in the Bible. God cannot lie. That's the full statement of God's truthfulness, right? God is love. God is light. These are statements about his character, right? Let me show you one more and we'll be done. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Now notice that word light is capitalized. What's that talking about? Verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. This light is Jesus, okay? The same came for a witness, verse 7, to bear witness of the light that all men through him, that's through the light, Jesus might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. Verse 9, that was the true light which lighteth, what are those next two words? Every man that cometh into the world. What about those who've never heard? Well, God has given every man light. Every person that's ever born, God has given them light. He's given the light of creation. Everyone that's ever been born lives within this creation. We all live on the same earth. We all look at the same sky. We all look at the stars, the sun, the moon, the stars. And it's interesting. God has the earth revolve so that we can see everyone that he intends for us to see. And every bit of it shows who he is, his eternal power and Godhead. And he gave us the light of creation. Romans chapter 2, he gave us the light of conscience. God wrote his law on our hearts. He lights every man that comes into the world. Everybody knows it's wrong to kill a baby. Everybody knows it's wrong for the strong to hurt the weak. Everyone knows it's wrong to steal. Everyone knows these things. God has written those things on our hearts, and he's put in the desire, he's put the desire of worship in every man's heart. And if you will respond to the light of creation, and then you respond to the light of conscience, he will send you the light of Christ. That's the promise of Scripture. Men are without excuse. And the reason that we can be so authoritative in our statement of these things is because of, the, of thus saith the Lord. What saith the Scripture? This is our authority. Not me. Not any statement of faith. Not any confession of faith, not any creed. It is the word of God, and we need to discern those the full mention of Scripture. What has God said about this? That's what I am to believe. 
Not what does Dr. So-and-so say. Not what does Pastor So-and-so say. We enjoy James Knox. We enjoy uh, 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 Edwin Hartle. We enjoy teachers, and God has given teachers to the church. They're a blessing for us, right? Brother Knox is not authoritative here. Edwin Hartle's not authoritative here. Jim Alter's not authoritative here. The Word of God is our authority. We have to find these full mentions in Scripture where God gives us his mind about these topics. Then we can know what we are to believe, what we're to preach, what we're to say. Amen? Let's all stand together. One of the reasons that this principle, this, this teaching how to, people, how, to, uh, how to study the Bible, and for you to understand how to study the Bible for yourself, is I want you to have confidence out there. I want you to know how to, how to stand for the truth out there. Because the world's going to continue to get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What was Paul's answer to that? Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Doctrine is God's truth and God's words, folks. We have to be able to do that. And the way that you can be confident is to find some of these passages and memorize them. Hide God's word in your heart. Be ready to give people an answer. How many of you know people that believe that works are part of their salvation? How many of you know people that are like that? You need to be able to, well, that's not what we believe. Who cares what you believe? Right? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And I'll tell you, people get tired of you when you ask that. What's the Bible say? No, really, what's the Bible say about that? What's the Bible say about that? There was a, a, one of our guys went to this meeting. And the guy said, what church do you go to? He said, Grace Baptist. He said, oh, I know your pastor. All he does is ask questions and quote scripture. There's worse things could be said. Amen? Folks, let's give ourselves to the study of God's word. Let's, let's, let's know what it says. Let's believe it. Let's believe it. Let's not be mean. Let's not be arrogant. Let's, let's make sure that we're giving gentle and humble answers to inquirers. Let's be ready to do that. But the most important thing this morning, y'all know where I'm going, you must be born again. You must, that's what Jesus said. You must be born again. If you're not born again, the full mention of that is you're condemned already. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Accept that gift.